All right, Hebrews chapter 6. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Now, if you are a guest with us uh, here this morning, you hadn't been in some time, this is what we do. We normally will start a book. We, we started this in January and just go systematically through the book. We'll read the passage and then talk about it, read the passage, talk about it. That's what Sunday is so that the authority, you come to Hickory Grove, the authority here is not a preacher or a person. The authority is the Bible. So today we'll feel a lot like a Bible study. We find ourselves in Hebrews 6 in the middle of a warning. Started in Hebrews 5, and this is a pastor writing to his people, warning them. Join me there, chapter 6, verse 1. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Go with me there to verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would use this to warn those near the edge, to call people back. We pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the pastor to write these words would be here today to move in the hearts of your people, that we might be strengthened, that we might be made courageous and that you might awaken people that are slumbering spiritually. And so God, speak to your people from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It feels like a time of testing. You probably feel it too. You can feel it, especially in our country, in, in the confessing church, in the evangelical church. It feels like we're finding out who's actually in and who is actually out. And as a pastor, I wonder, maybe you wonder the same thing, I wonder, will the center, can the center hold? Is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, is that going to be enough for you? 
Is it enough to walk you through this death? Is that faith, Christian faith, is that enough to walk you through this hurt? Is it enough to get you through the crisis? Is it enough for us to get us, this church, through this hour that we're facing? You see, it's said oftentimes by people that Jesus is enough. Do we really? Is he really? The question that comes down to us as we face what we face in the culture we live in is are you willing to trust the God of the Bible and to stay true to him no matter what the consequences? Because we've come right up to the chasm and the bridge of casual Christianity is burnt. Prosperity gospel is bankrupt. The social gospel is rotten. And the political gospel, all it does is make us want to argue. We don't want to fight. The Christian impulse should not be to fight. We don't want to fight, but it feels increasingly as if we are being backed into some kind of corner. We don't want to fight. We want to be... We want to flourish. We, we, we want to be joyful in the midst of confusion. We want to be hopeful in the midst of hurt. You see, we as Christians right now, we are facing what they are facing. What this little church was facing that the pastor is, is writing to here in the passage. It was a time of testing for the recipients of this letter. They could feel the political pressure. They could sense the social cauldron that they were in. They lived. They lived in a time that was making many of the, many of the church members take a step back from their otherwise vibrant Walk with Christ. And the pastor knew it. He's worried about his church. And so he sat down and write, he wrote this letter to his church. And you, can, you can feel it. You can, you can hear it in the tone. You can see it in the text. As he, as he has penned what many people consider to be the most difficult passage in the entire Bible. You see what he's doing? He's pushing his people toward maturity. He could see what was coming down the pike at them. They were going to have to be strong to be able to face what they've got to face. And he warns them in this passage of the inherent danger of not taking their Christianity seriously that, that Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to step back and fall away. He's calling his people, you see. He's calling his people to renew their vigor, to, to run the race with endurance, to get spiritually tough and to persevere. Now this question, now this passage is not questioning the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. When I say the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, what I mean is the, what we have put shorthand, once saved, always saved. He's not questioning 
the perseverance of the saints, the rest of the Bible. Remember, you always interpret Scripture with Scripture. The whole counsel of the whole Bible points to the security of the believer. He's not questioning that. What he's doing is he is insisting that those who persevere, those who last, are the true saints. And right here before us is a practical truth that has been verified repeatedly in the life of the church. You sitting right here know people that you are worried this is describing right now. So, brothers and sisters, let us gird up our loins and take up the mantle of what it means to be a Christian. Because true Christianity will always show itself. True Christianity, a true Christian, won't be hidden. A true Christian will always show himself. Let's go ahead to the passage. Join, join me there in verse 1. Let's join the preacher as he presses his people toward Christianity. Here's the first point, number one. True Christianity has a desire to grow. A true Christian, someone that is saved, genuinely saved, will have a desire to grow. Join me there in verse 1 of that first word, therefore. Now that word says, before we go further, we got to look back. He takes us back to the argument he's making in chapter 5. And if you haven't been here, chapter 5, he was making an argument about Christian maturity. And he uses an analogy of babies drinking milk and adults eating steak. And he's saying in chapter 5 that as a Christian, if you're going to grow, you got to put down the milk and pick up the meat of God's Word. Look, look what it says in verse 1. Look at the leaving behind, moving ahead. Listen to the language, verse 1. <clears throat> therefore, it's a command, therefore let us leave. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on. Let us go on to maturity. Let's pause there and cut it even further. Let us leave. Look, if you're going to make progress, if you're going to grow, if you're going to develop, if you're going to continue maturing as a woman of God or a man of God, there are some things that you have to leave behind. It might be old ways. It might be old habits. It might be old sins. It might be old beliefs. Brother, it might be old friends. Preacher saying to his church members, there is a decisive action right here in, in, in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave. Walking away, putting it behind you, putting it in your rearview mirror. All growth, every bit of it, all growth, spiritual or otherwise, all growth has a backward glance and a forward gaze. See yourself in the car, you're driving the car, you got a windshield, you gaze, you look through the windshield, you're going forward, and you glance at the rearview mirror. You don't, you don't gaze at the rearview mirror and wreck your car. Rearview mirror is to tell you where you've been. It's the windshield. And here's what the preacher is saying. You've got to look forward. We've got to move on. Chapter 5, he had the analogy of food, milk, and meat in chapter 5. And he was saying there, you've got to leave the milk, take the meat. Now he's saying in verses 1 and 2, here's another analogy, building a house. If you're going to build a house, you've got to lay a really good foundation. That's what he's saying in verse 1 and 2. Lay a good foundation, make sure it's right, 
But once you get that foundation laid, you don't stay there. You don't build a house by stopping at the foundation. Look what he says, and I'm just going to read it in verse 1 and 2. There are three pairs, three couplets. They go together. Really, there are six items. It's probably a catechism. What he's, he's probably an, an early Christian catechism saying, here's sort of the basics. You need to have this to be a Christian. Let's just run through them very quickly, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. What is that elementary doctrine? Go on to maturity. Don't lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So you, you've got to understand, they were Jews. They believed earning, do things, get saved. He's saying, you already know to repent from the dead works. There is no righteousness of that. We are saved not by our own righteousness. It is filthy rags. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ. So you've got repentance. And then he said, you've got faith toward God, that we are saved. It, it is a religion of faith. That is what saves us, God's grace, through faith in Christ. So we have repentance and then faith. And then, and keep going, he, he ties Judaism, the basic instructions on washings, maybe from the Essenes, maybe from John the Baptist who was baptizing people as a symbol of being cleansed. And then Jesus came and said to John the Baptist, you baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And then when Christ is, is ascending, he tells the church, go and baptize. You understand that baptism is a symbol of what's happened inside of you. So you, you've got repentance, you've got faith, you've got baptism. And then it takes us a step further, laying on of hands. That laying on of hands probably can't know for sure, but probably in the book of Acts, if you read the church when it's born, the Holy Spirit descends, and what the apostles did as a sign of the Holy Spirit, they would lay their hands. And we even see that when we ordain people, lay their hands. So you understand repentance and faith, you understand baptism, you understand the Holy Spirit, you also have the resurrection, we are new in Christ, you also have the final judgment. Here's what the preacher's saying, you got those things. You have a handle on it. The very minimum, the very minimum belief about being a Christian and the symptom of immaturity is staying there. A symptom of immaturity is a preoccupation with once saved, always. I know I'm saved because I was baptized and I felt it. I know I'm saved because I prayed a prayer and I felt it. And he's saying, look, if that's where you're stuck, we're running into some danger. That can't be the sum total of Christianity. You see, a, a, a true Christian starts with the gospel. What is the gospel? That God is the holy creator who created all of us in his image. The image of God in us is what makes us have any dignity. That image in us has been disfigured because of our own sin. That sin has not just taken us far from God. The Bible says we are dead in sin, that, that fellowship is broken. God who is just must punish sin, but he is also loving. God in his love gave us Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life. Now that's important because he earned righteousness that he's going to give us. At the end of his earthly life, he goes to the cross, and there at the cross, the sign of judgment, remember, God must judge sin, so all of the judgment of every sin that will ever be forgiven, every sin that any sinner ever had, is poured out on Jesus at the cross. And those who believe 
get the righteousness he earned. So when God looks at you, if you are a son or daughter of God, what he sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You hear that, it's offered to you, and if you turn from your sin and believe that, you're saved. That's the, that's the, that's the gospel, and it's true. But it doesn't stop there. The preacher's saying, okay, you've laid the foundation. There's got to be more. Do you want more? Do you, do, you, do you love God and hate sin? Do you engage in worship? Do you, do you search the scripture? Do, do you repent of sins you know about in your own life? Has, has there been an alteration? Is your, has there been a change in your behavior? Are you bearing fruit, you see? True Christianity desires to grow. There's something else you'll see there. It come down to verse 3. I think probably my favorite verse in this whole passage. Here's the second point about true Christians or true Christianity. True Christianity depends on grace. Depends on grace. <clears throat> now, when I say depends on grace, what I mean is that true Christianity Trust God's grace in all things, especially in salvation. So we say that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now go with me to verse 3, and as I read it, listen to the confidence and determination that's mixed with the reticence and dependence. It's a great, it's a great verse. Read, let me read it to you, verse 3. Mm -mm. The preacher says, and this we will do, this we will do if God permits. What a great balance of my actions, God's providence. What a great balance of my determination and God's sovereignty. What a great balance of my responsibility and his lordship over it. Keep looking at verse 3. Keep looking. You got two things packed into verse 3. The preacher says, this we will do. Get that attitude in your mind right now. This we will do. Decisive action. Here is clear determination. What you have here is genuine conviction. Have a real commitment. This is the preacher saying, you, you need to get your mind right for what's coming down the pike at you. This is, this is me having my heart's desire, my life purpose is to live for Jesus Christ, to honor him, to, to honor him no matter what happens, no matter what I might face. If it means i got to take my kids out of public school because they're teaching them some trash about gender, I'll take them out. If it means I can't go on vacation to the place I love to go, I'm not going back. You make your mind up that I'm going to, this we will do. You might even determine it right now. You might even say, just quietly where you are, maybe write it down. There's some things I, I, I'm going to I'm going to change. I'm tired of being spiritually lazy. I'm going to change. Now, you got that front part. Come do the, don't forget the, this is not just self-help. Don't forget the second part of verse 3. This we will do if God permits. Latin, Dio valente. If God wills. If God allows. You know what you have right there? That right there is a joyful statement of of faith. It is believing in the full and close-up involvement of God in our daily lives. This is, 
This is an awareness of God. This is a dependence on God. Here is the Lord's prayer in action. Remember the Lord's prayer, our Father, I'll do it King James, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. What you have here in verse 3 is balance. You have, have determination and dependence. All in one verse. And it's the mark of a true Christian. Okay, I am determined to do something, but I am dependent on God to get it done. Fully determined to honor God and fully dependent on God's grace. You see, true Christianity will always show itself. True Christianity desires to grow. True Christianity depends on grace. Now, <clears throat> dive deep with me into verse 4. And there you'll see true Christianity perseveres. If you prefer, true Christianity lasts. Join me there and let's jump into some of the most difficult, most problematic verses in the Bible. So often these verses are used to say one can lose your salvation. Well, if you keep reading, you can lose it. It means you never get it back. But these verses will help us Help us change the trite statement of once saved, always saved, changing it to if saved, always saved. Jump in there in the first verse, uh, verse 4, the first phrase starts with one word in Greek. It is impossible. In fact, if it were written in Greek, you, you would have it is out. All you would see is the word impossible. He's making a point. Three other times in the book of Hebrews, he uses the word impossible Chapter 6, verse 11, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Chapter 6, verse 18, he says, it is impossible for God to lie. Chapter 10, verse 4, he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's saying here, it's not going to happen. He's spooling himself up in a graphic warning to a church. To every person sitting in his church, by extension, every person here that would play fast and loose with their salvation or, or abandon it altogether. Now, to get this right, we need to walk slowly through it. Just, if you have a copy of God's Word, you just, look at your, you just look at your Bible. We'll walk through there and then maybe come back and try to make some sort of observation or even application. Join me there in verse 4. <clears throat> It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, for those who, who had a decisive moment, something happened to them at vacation Bible school or, or, or church camp, and, and they prayed a prayer and would say they received Jesus, maybe even baptized, M maybe even understanding and believing so many things out of the Bible, maybe even it's, it seems like he was walking with the Lord, showing appropriate signs of actually being a Christian. So much so that she was indistinguishable for those who she was going to church with. It just felt for those who, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened. Or come on down the next descriptor. For those who have tasted the heavenly gift. It is impossible for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, tasted that to, to receive. Now, be careful that you don't take this word tasted and say it means you didn't really actually eat the whole thing, you just tasted it. 
Now, that, that phrase is used oftentimes to describe the death of Jesus when, when the, the writer will say, he tasted death, the whole of it. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They received some of the, some of the blessings of being in the body of Christ, loved to go to Sunday school, had a mom and dad that loved them, took them to church, grew up in a godly home, were told they were, they were loved every single day, been on mission trips, even come to church and, and be moved emotionally and worship, maybe raise your hands and worship. They tasted, they partook, and they, they liked it, liked being with God's people, liked being in the church. It is impossible for those who have been enlightened and those who tasted the heavenly gift, for those who shared in the Holy Spirit, who when they heard preaching sometimes would be convicted and feel sorry for their sins and, and promise I'm going to do better, feel bad about doing worse, and, and if they hurt somebody, would go and apologize. There seemed to be something that happened inside of them. Maybe quit drinking, maybe acting nice, quit cussing, and you see this sort of change in behavior, and it feels so hopeful. It is impossible for those who've been enlightened and those who tasted the heavenly gift and those who shared in the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Look at the descriptor. Keep looking. For those who tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, who sat in church and affirmed the story of the Bible and said that it was true and believed creation, believed what the Bible said about gender and sexuality, what the Bible said about salvation, maybe went so far as to even had a devotional life, could possibly actually articulate the gospel. If you were to ask them what the gospel is, they could say it. Had some real knowledge. Had, had a, what seemed to you, youth, a genuine experience. We got all of that back up. Now let's run through it. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen, that's the word apostatized, this is, this is where you get apostasy, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they would be crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. It is impossible to restore them to repentance. Not because God isn't kind, not because God isn't ready to stand and forgive and receive them back, because something's happened in there. When you think of Bible characters, think of, think of Esau, not Jacob. When you think of New Testament and people that abandoned Jesus, think of Judas and not Peter. And, and it gives us why. Why can't they come back? Why won't they turn back? Because what they're doing is, look at it, is a double, a double crucifixion. They crucified again the most cataclysmic event in the entire universe that ever happened was not enough, so now they've gone to find the Son of God and nail Him to the cross again. It gets graphic here. And they, they hold Him up to contempt. They do what the soldiers did. They spit on Him. 
I mean, here's the warning the preacher's giving his people. What is the preacher saying in the context? Now, take it into context. In the context, he's warning his church members, if you go back, if you go back to Judaism, if you go back to your old ways, there's nothing left to give. Here, you want to know what the unforgivable sin is? It's not adultery, it's not murder, it's not suicide. Here is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is experiencing as an insider, as an insider, experiencing as an insider all that God has to offer in Christ and then saying, that's not enough. Let me see if I can illustrate it. I'm not sure I can. I'll try. Anytime I try to use a medical illustration, I usually mess it up. But let's take a run at it. People are, free, people are frequently immunized against a disease by being inoculated with a watered-down, mild form of that disease. And sometimes I think that is an analogy of what happens to so many people that profess, so many people that profess Jesus but don't persevere. They get just enough. They get immunized against true Christianity. And they got just enough of the inoculation that they can't actually get the real thing. And the problem is, what they got sometimes looks, feels like the real thing, to the degree that we are standing bewilderment when they walk away. Now, here's what the preacher's saying now. A true Christian, remember, he's not a soothsayer. He's not looking at people's hearts. Only God can do that. This is God's business. His business is to warn. He's saying a true Christian perseveres, stays. Are you? I mean, it's worth the question. Are you in the faith? Have you, have you trusted in the finished work of Jesus, what he did for you on the cross? Are you, another question might be, are you, are you growing in grace? Do other people see that you're growing? Are you in fellowship, in the body of believers? You part, you, you've invested your life into, into the fellowship of church. Are you engaged in worship, finding a place to serve? Are you more sensitive to your own sin than you are other people's sin. Do you long to know Christ, to, to know what the Bible says about the, the Lord that you worship? You see, true Christianity will always show itself. There, there's a desire to grow. If you don't have a desire to grow, then something, something's not right. There's a dependence on grace. If you're not aware that you make a decision and you also, if God allows, depending on grace, True Christianity per perseveres. This is not to say you're without sin. This is to say that when it happens, there's conviction and repentance, fellowship. It perseveres. I'll give you one more, and we'll call it a day here. 
Number four, true Christianity. True Christianity bears fruit. You're in Christ, you bear fruit. So here's what the preacher has done. He's given a really hard warning from verse 1 down to verse 6, and then he took a breath, collect your breath, and then in verse 7 and 8, he actually tells us what is the point of what he's saying. Here's the point, verse 7 and 8. Join me there. <clears throat> Before you join me there, there's, there's a positive and a negative. So here's what Jesus, he does what, the preacher does what Jesus does with the parable of the soils. He gives us a, 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 an agricultural illustration. Here's the positive in verse 7. For the land, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, that land receives a blessing from God. That's how it's supposed to work. That God moves and blesses and then fruit is produced. It is abundant and that is the way being in Christ works. Then he says, but there's another way, verse 8. Here's the negative. But if that same land, if it bears thorns and thistles. You see what the preacher did? Reach back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, when God cursed Adam and Eve there in the garden when they had sinned. And he says that the land is now going to bring forth for you thorns, same words, thorns and thistles. He's brought that forward to say this is a curse. If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, it is near being cursed, and its end is to be burned. You see what he's done? He's boiled it down and said, you're one or the other. You're verse 7, bearing fruit. You're verse 8, ready to be cursed. He steps back from his warning in verse 9. I just dip, just dip down in the verse. I love that he has a pastor's heart. Verse 9. And he says, okay, I've been pretty hard. Although I've speak to you this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. I want you to, brothers and sisters, I want you to know the gospel to know the gospel and love the gospel. I want you to be strengthened in grace so that you can keep going, keep persevering. I want you to love God. I want you to be a true Christian because a true Christian is a growing Christian. And honestly, I believe better things for you. Will you join me as we pray together? Your head bowed this morning. Just think with me. Just think with me. Probably you thought of someone. Wouldn't take long to think of that. Someone you need to pray for. Maybe to the degree you'd like just to symbolically just come and pray as we sing our final worship song. You should, this is the Lord's house. You're with God's people. You should feel the freedom to come and pray. Maybe it's burdened you to the degree you just want to have a pastor pray with you as well. You just, our pastors are down front. are glad to do that. Maybe you just need to come and pray it's you. You just need to pray for, you need to pray for God's grace to give you strength to keep growing. You want to grow as a Christian. Possibly you heard this and thought, you know what? That could be me. I might be that land 
that's received blessings and produced thorns. I need Jesus. We sing today, our pastors are down here. You come down and say, I need Jesus. God has spoken to your heart this morning. As we sing, we'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that is good, for your grace that saves. Thank you that you preserve us, that you hold us in your hand. There's nothing that gets us out of your hand. We pray for those whose names came to our hearts and minds as we thought about those that had fallen away. God, we pray that, that all hope would not be lost, that you would call them by your grace, that you keep working. We believe better things, things towards salvation. Lord, have your way with our congregation. Find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?